Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's not like Lori Lightfoot didn't know being mayor of Chicago would be a tough job. She took over in a fiscal crisis, but no one can deny her first two years have been a challenge. And you've heard a lot of reporting on that. So if we're going to sit down with the mayor at this point, it might be better to ask, what now? Well, we will. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. From the schools to the roads and bridges to racial unrest, pension debt and pandemics, there's no shortage of things to talk about with Lori Lightfoot. Even the occasion of talking to the mayor generated headlines this year, and we'll want to talk about that too. But first, let me point out that this interview is being conducted at the mayor's city hall offices, and this is the first full at-issue program to be recorded face-to-face since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. And it seems like forever ago. Um, But uh, we will want to talk about how we're doing. And thank you, Mayor Lightfoot, for having me in. It's my pleasure. Um, And we're both fully vaccinated. Uh, (laughs) We should probably start with the things that were making headlines as the week was wrapping up. Probably the premier topic was the Illinois Senate's passage of legislation that would eventually mean creation of a fully elected school board. Now, I will say we in the media probably often, too often, reduced this uh, debate over the proposal to shorthand. Um, And the way the shorthand goes is on the one side, some state lawmakers and the teachers union want a 21-member elected school board. On the other side, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her allies don't want an elected board, but used to. Uh, Why isn't it quite that simple? Well, because... First and foremost, what we need to be thinking about, and it never seems to come up in the discussion, is what's in the best interest of our children? What's in the best interest of uh, the uh, almost 400,000 students who call uh, the Chicago Public Schools their home? Um, Schools in our city are more than just places where you learn the basics of ABCs and math. They are, in many instances, a safe place, a place where um, children get a whole lot more than just a book education. It's a place where they go to get fed, where they find safety and shelter, uh, where that may be the um, community convening place for them um, when circumstances are tougher outside of the schoolhouse. So it's a big, important issue when we're talking about governance change 
of Chicago Public Schools, the most consequential that's happened in probably 30 plus years. What I know is that we have to put our kids first. We've got to listen to the parents who feel disenfranchised um, and making sure that a governance structure actually gives parents an opportunity to have a seat at the table and a voice on all parents, not just U.S. citizens, but all parents. I, I can't support any kind of remedy um, that doesn't that disenfranchises undocumented residents as the bill passed by the Senate does. 21, let's just start with that. The largest fully elected school board in the country um, has a membership of nine, not 21. The largest school board in the country, which is New York City and fully appointed, has 13. So we're talking about creating this superstructure that is going to be fractious, uh, that I think is gonna have a hard time governing, it doesn't make any sense. It's not smart for our system. And what I worry about is that everything that got loaded up at the last minute, like a Christmas tree, um, is going to cause harm, instability, and fundamentally not advance the cause of educating our children, particularly coming out of a pandemic when learning loss is real and deep and profound, where achievement gaps have opened up and exacerbated. None of those conversations are happening when, when they should be. That should be front and center, and everything else should be um, structured around supporting our students. A 21-member uh, school board that um, doesn't allow for all parent voices, that um, doesn't account for the symbiotic relationship between the city of Chicago and CPS to the tune of $500 million plus increasing each year, none of those issues are accounted for in the bill that passed the Illinois Senate. And that's a mistake. And we have not talked about the other issue that hangs out there, and that is control uh, and whether and, and how you should have control of that process, uh, not just the process, but of the actual structure. Um, that is an issue too, is it not? Well, it, it, it is. I favor a hybrid model. Um, having now been mayor for two years and gone through a lot of issues uh, with the public schools, um, it's clear to me that a hybrid model um, is the best um, choice, um, and I'm going to keep fighting for that. But should, your, should people who have been appointed by you have the superior weight on a panel like well, that? Well, I think so. If, if our dollars are subsidizing um, CPS, um, in the way that they have been, which is half a billion dollars every year and increasing in the out years, of course there should be mayoral uh, influence over the decision-making of the public school board, of course. That's, that's what the people elected me to do. This bill is going back to the House, uh, the Illinois House. That is a body that passed a measure that is probably even less like what you wanted to see uh, so what do you do now? Well, I think the people who have really um, been activated around this issue are going to continue lobbying uh, for a better result. Uh, the, the bill that passed the Senate um, has a lot of significant problems with it that will not help support, I think, the core values that we need to be articulating around supporting our young people, supporting our students. Um, and I'm hopeful that that activism um, uh, around... Um, I think a core set of values that are important 
and the outreach to legislators will get us to a better result. But this is just one milestone on a longer journey. Uh, and that journey. And ultimately, the voters yeah. are going to have the final say. Um, didn't the voters have, in, in some ways, a say in, in saying that they wanted an elected board? No, I don't think that that put, question has ever been put fully to um, residents of the city. And what I know is a number of parent-focused focus groups that educated groups of parents around the options, what came back time and time again was a hybrid. They wanted an elected portion of it, but they wanted mayoral accountability. I haven't seen a single poll of any credibility that suggests that they want the mayor and the city council to have no role, no say in the governance of CPS. That's just not reality for the voters um, in Chicago, and certainly not the parents. I do want to turn to other <laughs> seasonal topics, or at least one, and that is the uh, the violence that we have seen uh, in the streets mm -hmm. around the city. Shootings were down over the Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, at the point that we're recording this, we have no idea what this weekend uh, looks like, but uh, no one is pretending gun violence is going to vanish. Um, what is the difference in the strategy this year that you are hoping holds through the coming weekends? So we started planning for summer violence really back in January, looking at historical trends, um, looking at the areas in the city that were most challenged. And in looking at that data, that information, it became clear to me that there were specific geographic areas of the city that accounted for an overwhelming amount of violence. So what we've done th this summer that's different from before is we are focusing on 15 beats, um, that's sub-geographic areas, in the west side and the south side. And we're really taking a whole-of-government approach, not just what can law enforcement do, but what can city government, along with trusted partners in these areas. So we've had working groups that have divided up these 15 beats into four zones, four on the, uh, two, on the north, uh, two on the west side, two on the south side. And every week, these working groups that are city government from parks and schools and libraries, um, public health, uh, Department of Family Support Services, along with trusted community partners, are looking at what the assets and opportunities are literally down to the block level because the goal is, of course, um, laying a foundation for peace that's got to be done in partnership with the uh, police department and other law enforcement, but holding that territory by investing in the people, in the families, in the businesses to provide the, um, the, the really the foundation for lasting permanent peace in these areas. These neighborhoods, these beats that we're talking about, the 15 of them, account for about 30% of the violence in the city. So if we can show a marked reduction in those areas, um, we are going to, I think, really turn the story of uh, public safety in the city. But the word you used, investment, that is uh, something that can make a difference in neighborhoods, but how much does that cost? Do we have the resources the, to sustain well, what's needed? Investment comes in a lot of different forms. One is the most important thing is being present in these neighborhoods and showing the people there who are of goodwill, 
want to live the same kind of peaceful life that you and I do, that they are seen and heard and valued. That's very, very important. But also, we've got a lot of assets on the ground, but what we haven't done is break down the silos and focus those assets in a concentrated way, in a coordinated way, in a collaborative way. And yes, of course, other dollars and cents need to be invested, but there's a lot of richness of resources in some of these areas, but it hasn't been coordinated in the way that we're doing it now. Um, as we have known over the years, these situations can turn on a dime. Uh, you can have a sure. bad weekend out of nowhere. Sure. Uh, what if it doesn't work? Is there a plan B? Well, I mean, we, look, let's, let's be hopeful and optimistic. We're going to be calibrating literally on a daily basis and in some instances an hour-by-hour hour basis. It's, it's, the, the reason that this is different is not because we've abandoned everything that we've traditionally done, but we're adding two. And we're flexible and nimble enough with the rapid response teams that are built into this process that if we need to adjust, we will adjust. This is not a static strategy. It's got to be nimble, but that's why it's so important to be connected with residents and stakeholders on the ground in these neighborhoods. So if we see something coming, a, a conflict building, then we have strategies to be able to intervene and turn it around and hopefully mitigate it all together. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and we are recording this program at her city hall office. Uh, I do want to turn to uh, another problem involving police that has been debated and discussed at length, and that would be the uh, proposals for police accountability. Mm -hmm. um, there are competing, there were competing plans uh, between, and I won't go through the acronyms, but GAPA and CPAC. Um, how do you, how can you come to a meeting of the minds about civilian oversight, something that has been negotiated over for literally years? Well, look, I, I don't think there's any dispute that um, having more direct civilian oversight of the police department is a good thing. It is. I, I've always supported that going back to uh, my days leading the Police Accountability Task Force. But as the saying goes, the devil's in the details. You've asked me a lot of questions um, here today about public safety. The mayor has to be able to answer those questions. I have to be the convener and drive resources into neighborhoods that are needed most. Yes, civilian oversight is important, but the buck stops with me because that's what people elect me to do. The two important things that are top of mind for voters when they go to vote for a mayor of the city of Chicago are schools, public safety, and I'll add a third, finances. To divorce the mayor from that role that the voters expect makes no sense. So I think what we've done with our proposal is struck the right balance, standing up civilian oversight, giving them broad authorities um, to ask questions, to probe, um, being involved in hiring and fire, firing of uh, the police superintendent, the uh, police board uh, president, as well as the head of the civilian office of police accountability, but ultimately having the responsibility lie with the mayor, um, in this instance, obviously, that's me, but future mayors, because the buck does stop with the mayor. But are there not things where the public, where uh, civilian oversight could 
play a, a larger role, whether it be in shaping or proposing police policies. Yeah, and, and that's all in that's all in the proposal that we put forward. But it, where there's a dispute, the, ultimately the mayor has to be the one to be um, the final arbiter of whatever the dispute is. The goal should be not to look for the worst case scenario. The goal should be to figure out a pathway where civilians um, and the police are working as harmoniously as possible. And I think our proposal really lays the groundwork for that. We have proposed a network of um, civilian oversight involvement throughout Chicago in every police district and a structure for really engaging residents at the grassroots level about the issues that are uniquely situated um, in particular neighborhoods uh, around public safety. Those issues have to be heard and we've created a structure where that's more formalized now um, than what it really ever has historically been, then that feeds up to uh, the oversight body. That's, I think, where really the rubber uh, meets the road. What prevents a structure like that, though, from becoming uh, one where people have their say, uh, come out and, and express themselves, mm -hmm. and in the end, uh, a chief executive, whether it's you or anybody else, and frankly, I think people could look up and down the history of the city and see times when it would be one way and times when it would be another, where that mayor doesn't simply say, I'm going to go a completely different direction, and people feel as if they haven't been heard. Well, I think what we have to do is make sure that there's real engagement. Um, and public safety can't be um, something where the, only the loudest voices get heard. And unfortunately, in the time that we're in, that seems to be uh, the prevailing sentiment. But what that ends up doing is closing out those people who may not have a megaphone or a platform, but ha are every bit as infested and interested in things like public school or public safety. So we've got to create a space for those voices also to be heard, to debate, to strategize, to argue for uh, positions, and then again, hopefully come to some consensus on some basic issues around public safety and what at the neighborhood level is needed. No one needs to decree that from on high. A mayor doesn't and shouldn't decree that from on high. There's got to be engagement with the local stakeholders because they are uniquely qualified to say, here's what our issues are. We've got this building. We've got this um, uh, business on my block. And that may be a different set of issues than the next neighborhood over. We've got to allow space for those things to be resolved at the local level. And then if there needs to be something, a larger strategy, then obviously we have to um, have space for that as well. So the, the way the structure is set up, there are things that could be initiated um, at the district level, for example, that might never reach the higher end, but could people really be heard? I mean, how do you keep, yeah, of course. How, well, how do you get those quieter voices to be heard? Well, first of all, you've got you've to come to the table in good faith, and then you've got to reach people where they are. The average person is worried about, do I have a job? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Am I going to have a good quality of life? But we've got to make sure that the space is there for those voices to be heard. And there's got to be a concerted effort on the part of the people who will be in charge of um, sorting through those issues at the local level, that they're actually engaged in doing outreach. I think there's a level of 
attention and activism in our city that we may not have seen for a long time. And people are concerned about public safety. I know that from my own experience. I know that from going out into communities, going to roll calls, um, going to community meetings. Public safety is top of mind for most residents in our city. So I don't think there will be a lack of um, attention, a lack of interest on the part of our residents. The question is, how do we make sure that we create that space for those voices to be heard? And that's what our proposal does. Talking about activism, I want to turn to things happening in this building um, because I think you are um, maybe could be benefiting from or being bedeviled by uh, having a more active and uh, and vocal city council mm -hmm. than some of your predecessors uh, have had, many of your predecessors have had. Um, and that has led to it seeming to be a much more contentious uh, relationship than we've seen of late. Uh, is that a fair way of characterizing it? It's definitely a different um, dynamic than I think it has historically been, or in recent times. Obviously, you know, let's, let us not forget um, the first uh, um, uh, term of Harold Washington. I don't think the city has seen anything like that, and hopefully we never see anything like that again in our time. You know, I came into office saying, and I still believe it, I don't want or need a rubber stamp city council. You and the media are very animated by who's up, who's down, and many times um, the reality is very different than what the reporting is. Um, yes, there are those who have come into office believing that their responsibility is to be an activist, to be a social media influencer. I think most people want to get the job done. They want to um, do right by their residents. They want to make sure that they're taking care of constituent needs. Um, and I, I do think that that's the prevailing sentiment, certainly of a working majority of the members of the city council. Not all of them, um, and those people um, show themselves on a regular basis. But I think for the vast majority, they're just trying to do what is in the best interest of their constituents, their residents, um, and have the space under my administration to voice their concerns um, and not feel like they're afraid of what the mayor is going to say or do. Several aldermen quietly are grumbling about something that I think 20th Ward Alderman Jeanette Taylor actually voiced this week, uh, and that was that uh, she suggested that it's sometimes hard to work with you because she says you're a one-woman show prepared to go it alone. Um, that you aren't troubled if aldermen are, are in some ways opposed to you. Is that, is that fair? I don't, think that, I don't think that all of that is accurate. So let me um, put it this way. I have a probably high tolerance for dissent. I think it's just part of the process. Part of that, I'm sure, comes from my years working um, as a trial lawyer. Conflict is part of the name of the game, and I don't cower um, um, from that. And I think that that is surprising to many and, and confounding um, to others. But I, we try to engage with the aldermen. I would, if you ask um, people who have worked in prior administrations, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another administration where we regularly 
give all aldermen, not just a select few, but all aldermen, detailed briefings on every policy issue. We meet on a regular basis, and I meet on a regular basis uh, with um, as many aldermen as I possibly can. We've convened regional uh, meetings with aldermen. So what I've come to know in two years in the job, that people complaining, unfortunately, comes with the territory. Um, but what I know is um, there's no other mayor in my memory, going back several mayors, that has done more to try to engage members of the city council. But I can't force them to come to meetings. I can't force them to read their emails. I can't force them to get on calls. Um, but we're going to keep making that effort because I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, I think one thing that we, if there's any theme we've heard, uh, it's that progressive, well, people who consider themselves progressives were elated when you were elected. Um, and are you, do you sometimes feel pressure from the expectations of what people expect from someone? And, and I suspect that Barack Obama also uh, had to deal with that too. Mm -hmm. um, but is that, I mean, and for, even for yourself, are there things you can't do or want, that you might have wanted to do that the reality of the job means that people are going to be disappointed? Of course people are going to be disappointed because not everybody is going to get every wish fulfilled. Campaigning is very different than governing, and particularly governing in the face of a massive fiscal crisis, um, which we have not solved. Um, pensions are still a significant issue. And then add on to all of that a global pandemic, which we have made significant progress, and I'm proud of what we did to keep Chicagoans safe and save lives that other might, otherwise might have been lost. Um, and then you have historic civic uprising and this very important conversation that we're having, which continues around systemic racism, at a time when our public discourse is probably the most polarized of my almost 60 years living. So yes, there's going to be conflict. Yes, there are going to be people that are angry. What I try to do every day is really focus on what's my values? Why did I seek this office? What can I be doing every single day to advance the cause of those who don't have a platform, who need the government to work for them? That's what I focus on. The rest will take care of itself. And I wish I had left more time for us to talk about this, but the racial tensions and, and, and your full disclosure, I am an African-American reporter, uh, also a City Hall regular, mm -hmm. but uh, we're having this interview. I, so, yes, I suppose. You and I talk um, with some frequency, maybe not as much as, as we can or should. But yeah. Look, but, the, the elephant in the room, right? Uh, on the occasion of my um, two years in office, I made a determination that I wanted to make a powerful statement about the whiteness of the City Hall press corps, but not just the City Hall press corps, newsrooms all across the city. If I don't say that as an African-American um, uh, mayor, who's going to? And the fact of the matter is, I look out across the podium at the people who regularly um, cover me, I don't see many people that look like me, black or brown that come from a very different set of circumstances and perspectives. And the truth is, all of us have bias. Um, many of us, overt, 
but most of us, implicit. And the media plays such an important and vital role in our democracy. You are opining about the issues of the day, and you're doing that based upon your life's experience and your perspectives. It makes no sense to me that in 2021, in a city like Chicago, that we don't have more diverse voices covering the mayor, the county board president, our governor, and that is not the reality. And you can't tell me that we lack talent, that we lack diverse voices. And some of the crazy, and I'll say it, ignorant and racist things that were said by some of your colleagues that, well, she just wants that because the black and brown reporters want to ask tough questions. I mean, how incredibly insulting is that? The mayor is just um, doing payback. Nonsense. The day after, we went back to form. But I think and I hope I've ignited a very important conversation about why our media has to reflect the diversity of our times in our city, and it doesn't. And I'm going to keep talking about it. Making people uncomfortable, too bad. It's an issue that has to be put on the table, and I am the exact right person to do that, and we've done it. And I think we're going to see, and I hope we're going to see, some changes as a result. And we will talk about them if we do, or even if we don't. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor Lightfoot, for uh, spending the half hour with me. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link a little ways down the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.